As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. Leave it all behind. Rewrite the story. Change the lines. What if we took the time to get to know a person? Not just the first impression, but their story. I'm Shani Payton, and I am bringing you along as I learn that I am not alone in this journey of life, and neither are you. Join me every week as I hear courageous stories of inspiring individuals determined to leave an impact on this world. I speak with many who have suffered through challenges I myself have been through, such as living in a cult, infertility, foster care, adoption, and mental health illness. I have experienced firsthand how the stories of others have impacted me in my journey of healing. My goal is for you to feel that you are not alone in your struggles. Let's heal together, and you know I'll be bringing some fun along the way. Now let's dive in to some emotional, scary, humorous, and heroic stories. Thanks for coming along as I continue to grow. Welcome to the Shanty Pants Show. This is the moment. It's time to turn the page. Well, guys, you will definitely not want to miss the story. This is by far the most disturbing interview I have done so far. And there's definitely a trigger warning that comes along with this of physical, sexual, mental abuse, as well as attempted suicide. Get ready for an amazing story with an amazing woman. Well, guys, I'm so excited to have you here for another week of the Shanty Pants Show. Today, my guest is just amazing, and I will let her introduce herself. We have Verity here. Verity, tell my audience who you are. Great to be here, Shani. Right. Well, my name's Verity Carter, and I was born and raised in the cult that was known as the Children of God. It's currently known as the Family International. 
I escaped um, when I was about 15, early in 95, and have had a tumultuous journey since then, learning to adapt to the outside world I was not raised to survive in. My biggest achievement is um, my activism work. I've been lucky enough to be involved in two successful court cases that have ended in conviction in the UK um, on differing levels. And I'm continuing to actively pursue justice against the cult and the cult leadership for the crimes that they commit. Absolutely. And are you oh, a mom now? Um, I'm a mom. I am divorced. Okay. I'm probably not going to go into previous relationships too much because it's my kid's dad. <laughs> Absolutely get that. Totally get that. Uh, but I just wanted to verify that you are a mom at this point and just kind of uh, what kind of impact that makes uh, with your background, you know, because I know that that from watching your documentary, it, you know, things change in our mind. I know that it was that way for me. Once I was a mom, it was just like, okay, how am I going to lie to my child? How do I explain some of this? Like I have to make some personal changes um, in order to like raise a kid because <laughs> it's a whole nother ball game. I think the biggest, um, there was a few key changes when I became a parent. Um, first off, my lifestyle completely changed. Um, when I discovered I was pregnant, I was working as a roadie and I was living a very happy um, independent lifestyle that doesn't really work with motherhood. <laughs> well, not the way I, not the way I was living it anyway. Um, and so that there was a big change in lifestyle, a big change in habits, a big change in what I was allowing into my body. Let's say. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the a second thing, the biggest thing that probably really made a difference to me was after I had my first child. Was it completely changed my perspective on the things that had happened to me? Up until I had my first child, I found it hard to really acknowledge that the stuff that happened to me was that bad Mm -hmm. because it was just me that it happened to. And it was all to do with my own mental state of mind where I didn't matter as much as anyone else around me. So when it did just happen to just me, it didn't take it as seriously as like if anything happens to someone else I'll stick up for them fight for their rights but happens to me you sort of like dismiss it and I Mm. almost gaslight myself but when I had my first child I saw it from the perspective of what if any of that had happened to my child and for me that completely like changed my entire perspective and everything and Mm. it was shortly after that that I did first start making statements to the police and actually reporting the things that had happened to me and getting proper counseling. That's awesome. And I, yeah, I just, I wanted to point that out just because I do think it's such an impact how our mind changes and it changes our life to be responsible for uh, another human being. It does. It's like, as I said, it's yeah. cool. it did meet me sort of like um, <laughs> tie my shoelaces and put on my big girl pants a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Into the adult world, but it also did make me acknowledge quite how bad mm. things that had happened in my childhood yeah. because I all of a sudden I was seeing it from that different perspective. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit to where your kind of journey started because you were born into the cult Children of God, correct? Yes, I was born into the Children of God cult, myself and all my siblings. Okay. And your mom joined when she was young, teenager or young adult? 
Um, I believe I don't know the exact age, but I believe okay. she was a teenager. But I do know is that she was a vulnerable one person. Mm. She hadn't really found her place in the world. She'd come from a broken home, and she was looking for somebody to fulfill that need in her life, fill that mm. hole in her life, and give her a purpose. And the cult came along at the right time and said, "We love you. We need you. We'll be your family." And she jumped in with both feet and never looked back from what I can gather. Wow. And then she met your father in the cult as well, correct? Um, not, not exactly. Um, oh, okay. Actually, um, she, I believe she was out um, doing some outreach and witnessing or with posters or selling or whatever it was uh, when she met my dad, who mm. at the time was actually on the run from the authorities because... Him and his friends have been involved in a bank robbery and all his friends have been arrested for it. Oh, uh, wow. he, was, he was on the run. And oh. because um, he was interested in joining, but because of the trouble with the law, at that time, the cult basically decided he couldn't join as long as he was on the run. So he turned himself in, did his time, and then joined the cult. And as far as I'm aware, went straight with my mum from there. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And this would have been in the 70s? Mid-70s, late-70s? It would have been sometime in the 70s, but again, okay. I'm not 100% sure of the yeah. year. I yeah. did know that all of us were born into it, and the oldest one of us was born in 77. So it would have been mid-70s or earlier, I imagine. Okay. This all wow. Happened. Oh, my goodness. And you, so, so this life, until you got out at 15, for 15 years, this was the only life you knew? Yes. And I, that... I, I hadn't even seen another life. I hadn't watched TV. I hadn't, unless you count things like Sound of Music or the Kenan Time. My God. <laughs> <laughs> and I only say that. I'm sure there's a lot of people that love those films, but there was yeah. certain films that were allowed within the cult. Mm. And there was a list, a very short list of allowed films per age group. And those films would be watched on our glorious movie nights which would happen once every week or so if we were lucky and if we hadn't been into trouble but it would be the same ones over and over and over (sighs) again and if that wasn't bad enough they'd fast forward all the bits that they didn't think were suitable which was anything remotely fun I can tell you (laughs) they would make three before and after to choose the good and to show the evil and they would um to discuss any spiritual lessons and you need to learn along the way. So the certain movies that were on that list, for me, I tend to avoid like the plague now that I have other options. I just <laughs> Oh, I bet. Oh, yeah. But the, uh. the point was, that was the only outside culture that we had access to. So we didn't, it wasn't just that we didn't um, go to school or um, do regular things like have people going to jobs or anything else. It was that we didn't really see anyone else having that life either. We didn't, mm. not on the TV, not in real life. We didn't have anything else to compare wow. our lifestyle to. Oh my goodness. And so you, it, did your parents also work within the community? Did they have outside jobs, any adults, or did everyone pretty much work within the community, the cult? Um, they had roles within the cult. Okay. My parents had, and it's like sometimes it would be living community, and sometimes it would just be our family. But whichever, wherever we were, there was always roles. There would be things like childcare, 
teaching, and I say teaching, I use the term very loosely, <laughs> um, or house maintenance or woodwork or fundraising was the biggest, the sole biggest activity. But um, as far as I'm aware, in the entire time I was growing up, neither of my parents had actual paying jobs. In the okay. And what did, when you talk about fundraising, what did that consist of? Um, well, from the age of four, I would be involved with fundraising teams and we could either be on the streets of whatever town asking people for donations in exchange for cult pamphlets or posters. Um, otherwise, we might be going door to door and we just go through like door knocking mm. hundreds of houses in a day or sometimes business to business where we'd ask businesses to donate larger items or to sponsor the cult and we'd have our little portfolios of pictures of smiling children and they mm. like the children on these trips because there's nothing better than a smiling child to get people to be generous with their money <laughs> right right very well in what we did yeah well and i i know so i watched the documentary and anything i could find on the children of god and that is one thing that i really notice is and obviously you can when you're watching the documentary you're seeing the behind the scenes type stuff and hearing your story and others like you stories and but you see these smiling beautiful children and you all just look so happy and it so you can see how the outside world would just yes of course like there's nothing wrong with this community and what a lovely place and you can see how others would even uh, be drawn to that or want to join and that is the reason they made us do it and when I see yeah. that is exactly it some kids mm. get go to school and they're in all their different subjects we got drilled morning till night in how to appear to the outside world in order to protect the cult and not that the bad people in the outside world take us away and make life <sighs> worse for us it was very much us against their mentality that mm. everyone who wasn't in the cult was out to get us yeah. and we had to lie in the name of god and cover mm. up things and make sure we smiled and make sure we acted and make sure we said and did the right things because it was in the name of god's work and it was protecting god's children us against these evil people that were out to get us wow so they had you very convinced from a young age that anyone on the outside was bad even if it seemed as if someone would be trying to help you they were bad uh, they were, we were literally drilled it's like oh and they'll be very nice children they'll come they'll offer you sweets and they'll offer you this and they'll offer you that but if you slip up if they, it's a trick it's a trap and if mm. you let them do it then as soon, the nice act will go away as soon as they get what they want and they find out these things that we're trying to keep hidden from them and then all their siblings will be taken away and none of them will ever see each other ever again. They'll be separated, put into different places. They will mm. be really badly, nasty things will happen. They'll never see their parents again. And anyone left behind will suffer the shame. Mm. And all these consequences are really laid on thick. And we'd actually do little drills and skits and rehearsals where an adult would come in pretending to be a nice system person, you know, and we just like... And they'd train us on how to answer their questions and what to say. And it was like, honestly, I've worked with the media and I've, um, in my adult life um, as a job. And there is less preparation <sighs> than there was as we had kids for dealing with wow. to talk to us. Oh, my gosh. That is so terrifying. And it's, to me, like, 
you were already experiencing such high levels of abuse in the cult. So for them to be able to scare you out of what was on the outside is amazing that they could make it seem scarier than what you were already handling. But they warped the abuse in the cult and what they, they, as far as they were concerned, taught us that it wasn't an abuse. If mm, we were upset, right. about, if I was upset about things that were happening to me, that was because I was not in the spirit with the Lord enough to appreciate that this was good Christian behavior. Mm. And I was only being upset because I was too proud and selfish and thinking of myself. And if I could let go of that, then I'd be happy about it, like everyone I could see around me. And as far as they are concerned, it wasn't abuse if it was done in love. And mm. that went for everything. And the way they said it was different in the system is the bad people out there would abuse me, but they wouldn't do it in love. Oh, my it gosh. It worse. However bad you think it is now, can you imagine if it was without even love? And oh. they just and the way they sort of warped reality was it was a very twisted yeah. picture. Oh. And oh. when they described abuse in the outside world, it made it sound so much worse. As whereas when they dealt with things which was blatantly abuse that we were experiencing, it was gaslit and belittled and made to sound like it wasn't actually abuse, it was mm. all in our heads. Wow. Wow. That is, oh, I just, I, all I can do is like think about my kids and think about watching that show and the abuse that you guys endured. And it just, ugh, it hurts my mom heart so much. And even for everyone that has experienced this kind of abuse, when I'm watching that documentary and others like it and seeing these pictures of little you, you know, and your cute curly hair and, oh, you just want to like, I just want to grab you and just hug you and, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Do you want to speak a bit like what your childhood was like and kind of what the abuse was and, and how you kind of how you were raised? Um, okay. So I'll, I'll put it in the nutshell version. We've mm-hmm. only got to the one in the podcast. Uh. I think a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of the story is already out there. And I think yes. there's obviously has always been and always will be a big focus on the sexual abuse and the sexual abuse was bad. Mm-hmm. And my earliest memories involve sexual and physical abuse. I have no pre-trauma memories. Mm-hmm. I have no memories of a childhood before these things were happening to me. Um, I, By the time I was 12, I had had multiple men. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't through my choice. Um, but that wasn't all there was to it. I would say actually the worst part of my the worst part, the bit that impacted me more as a child was the psychological abuse and mm. the mental abuse and the difficulty in finding my my spot within the cult. I was utterly isolated. I was utterly lonely, constantly. I never felt like I could trust anybody. Mm. I never felt like I could talk to anybody. I never had somebody I could have truly called a friend. Mm. And... Every time I did try to talk to somebody or confide in somebody, I was always being in trouble because no matter how hard I tried, I was never Christian enough or in mm. the Lord enough. I was always in trouble. And so I would constantly put on things like silence restriction. And mm. silence restriction was horrific. Silence restriction, they're not just not allowed to speak. That's not enough. 
you're not allowed to speak, but you're not allowed to communicate. And mm. to put that into perspective, when I was on silence restriction, I wasn't allowed to make eye contact. I wasn't allowed to be seen to be using body language to communicate something. I wasn't allowed to speak. I didn't exist for anyone apart from the chosen adult who would come to me once every specified amount of time and talk at me to see if I'd learnt my lessons and if I was broken there because they wouldn't be able to take me off silence restriction until the Lord had broken me. Mm. And they would ask me direct questions and I would answer them. And if they didn't feel that I was broken sufficiently, silence restriction would continue. And there was no guaranteed end. I know some people were on kindness restrictions for up to six months. I was lucky. My longest science restriction was only a few weeks, but a few weeks is a small child. Oh, my gosh. It's horrific to be that utterly, utterly isolated. And that's just one example of the things they did. They would, like, make an example of you if you spoke out. And I wasn't, I was considered a difficult and bad child, but the things I'm doing, now that I have got some clarity and perspective, weren't actually unusual things for a child to do. I was showing signs of imagination. That was bad in the cult. Imagination Mm. and individuality weren't allowed. There's, in fact, entire books written about the evils of imagination. It's like it went something along the lines of image equals idolatry. I, selfish, and a nation of these things. And it was breaking down the word imagination and how bad it was. And I was a very imaginative child. But whenever I showed signs of that, I could get beaten, I could get demerits, I could get science restriction, I could get all sorts of things. And you were taught as well that if you witnessed another child doing something and didn't report on it, you were just as bad as they were. So you couldn't mm-hmm. trust any, even your peers or anyone around you because people their age would grasp you up if they saw something or if you doubted or if you asked any questions. These were all things that were considered bad and I got punished for these things a lot. And just that sheer not being able to express myself in any way. And when I was having it, just everything that came out of my mouth was wrong and sat down. And it was, it was traumatizing in a whole other level from the physical and sexual abuse. And I mm. think of all the things that I've had to get past in my adult life, those are the ones that probably still affect me the most. And I still have the most daily struggles wow. with dealing with those um that just being able to talk to somebody and not feel like i'm unwanted and i've overseen Mm. my welcome and i've overstepped and i should just back away and hide in my corner it's Mm. constant being able to value myself as something of worth that's something i have to force myself to do almost every day at least on some level and i think these are all impacts of the psychological and emotional abuse that Mm. we all been through and other things as well, like the complete lack of an education. Oh, um, wow. We were quote-unquote home-educated, but home education within the cult consisted of if an adult thought they knew something about something, they taught a class. Trust me, it was not a good education. Entire areas were missed out, and the only things they were really set on us doing was reading, writing, and basic maths. Any mm. one of that wasn't necessary, at least for my age group. And I was considered too difficult to teach by the time I turned 10. So after the age of 10. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. 
That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My education stopped. I was moved on to manual tasks and catering and childcare and fundraising. They taught us very well how to read, write, and do basic maths at an early age because they need hmm. that fundraising. But that's really where the very well part stopped. And when I left home at 15, I had no academic education. I knew fractions, adding, subtraction, times tables. Not the level you should really be at at 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I had an excellent vocabulary. I could read and write. But that's really where it stopped. And at 15 years old, it's too late really to start school when you've got no academic background at all. I was told I was too done for college. And... I didn't have family to fall back on because my other relatives didn't really know me. And for all that, when I left the court, I went to live with my dad. That was a very temporary stopgap. And I moved out from him on my own very shortly after. Mm. And so I ended up having to sort of go between. I worked cash and hand jobs. I did go through long periods of homelessness. I did have to, you know, like work my way from the bottom, as it were. Mm. And it was just, you didn't have any. Even people who don't take their exams or drop out of school, I think sometimes they don't realize how lucky they are to have had the educational background in the first place. Right. They've still got that basic knowledge that everyone takes for granted. And for all that I was born and raised in a Western society, I did not have that. Uh, I bet. Well, and then socially, too, you were probably, was that really awkward going to the real world? Or do you feel like you could communicate well socially because they had taught you with the fundraising. So was that a little easier? Yes and no. It okay. was, honestly, it was a nightmare. Socially, uh, it was one of my hardest obstacles. But when you say how they taught you the fundraising, I was able to use those skills in working life. They taught mm. us how to read between the lines, read body language and find out what a person was trying to say. So I was able to answer my employer, potential employer's questions before they knew they were asking them to a certain level. I was able to bullshit my way into jobs fairly Oh, easily. yeah. But I'm not talking good jobs. I'm talking ground-level jobs, you know, kitchen right. doors, building sites, that sort of thing. That's the sort of jobs that I was doing. And I was able to blag 
a certain amount and it didn't it didn't hurt that mm. at the age of 15 I had five years experience in construction and catering for up to 50 people mm. so wow. I didn't have experience above my years so I was right. that side fairly easily however socially I was worse than through this Mm. I had no idea about anything. Rock, pop, rap. I was not entirely sure what they meant or what the differences were. I spent the first six months thinking a soap opera was a type of toiletry. No joke. (laughs) 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 And I couldn't have a conversation. So I got myself I got myself the cash coming in fairly well and I got myself like a dodgy little bed set but then I would spend my time between jobs sitting in the dark corners or dodgy pubs and eavesdropping on people's conversations and I wouldn't understand anything they were talking about it'd be like an alien language they'd be talking about pop culture they'd be talking about work they'd be talking about school they'd be referring to things like holidays and Mm. I wouldn't know what any of it was I didn't have any context for any of it so I would listen to their stuff and obviously nowadays you'd just be able to go on google or youtube that was not let me tell you not even most of the libraries had computers at that point. Oh, yeah. You know? Wow, yeah. <laughs> no hope. So I was going around the charity shops and I was buying albums under a quid that looked like they might be devil music so I could find out what sort of music I liked. Oh, <laughs> and, my gosh. And I'd be like reading so much. I would read everything and anything I could get my hands on. And I'd be like watching TV shows and it's like silly things like Friends. People say TV isn't educational, but the amount of conversational skills I picked up from watching just stuff on TV because I'd never been out in society. I never learned these skills. Most people learn them naturally as they grow and I had not had it. Not only had I grown up segregated for society, but I'd grown up segregated from my other peers. I was always Mm. in trouble. I was always isolated. I was always on my own. I had no idea how to have a conversation outside of getting what I needed from somebody to give it to the cult. So that worked for me in a job front, but it did not work for me socially. And I'd go to other pubs and I'd try out the conversational skills that I found. And I'd always get to this point. It's like, oh, no, I'm stuck. Now what do I do? I've no idea what to do next. And like, something like totally out of my comfort level would happen. And I'd just sort of make my excuses and go, try a different pub tomorrow. My God, right, okay. Oh, my God. That's more a bit more. A bit more. And I would basically keep on doing that trial and error. And I think it was probably a, a good long time before I had formed any real friendships and wow. actual conversations in my own right. It was yeah. It was also really difficult for me to relate to anyone my age. And I did hang out mm. with a much older crowd because it actually, I could not get my head around the fact that other kids, like 15 and even older than me, 15, 16, 17, 18, didn't know how to boil an egg or make a bed. Mm. Didn't know how to look after themselves. Like, didn't feel safe going on a walk on their own. Like, they have another choice. Right, <laughs> right. <gasps> wow. Just, I had absolutely no concept. I, I, I couldn't relate to anyone anywhere near my own age group in any level. In the occult, I'd been an adult for years. I may have been 15, but I wasn't in my head. And mm. I know every 15-year-old on the planet thinks, oh, I'm dead old to 15. But no, <laughs> I <think it> was. <laughs> you had a different experience than most. Oh. oh, my goodness. So you definitely had kind of a shock going into real life and social and life outside of the cult. But 
for so for a while you were just kind of working, getting on your feet, trying to like you said figure out how to act socially, how to communicate socially. And so you weren't it's not like you got out and you were like, "Oh, I need therapy or I need this." You weren't really getting help necessarily that you needed. You were just out at least. I was yeah. out and I was pretty much on my own. As I said, when I first left the cult, it was to stay with my dad because I had to be mm. sent to stay with somebody because of my age. Mm. But I moved out from his house before while I was still 15. Okay. When I was 15 years old, I was paying rent in a dodgy bedsit, holding down cash and hand jobs and figuring things out for myself without any support. And I did try to get counselling. Mm. Um, I had, I was a very conflicted young person. I had mm. a lot of rage. I had a lot of emotions. I had a lot of conflicting emotions in there. And I had a lot of trauma that I wasn't able to face. And so I did go off the rails on a lot of drugs and drink and other things just to, I wanted to forget my past so I could Mm. move forward to my future. And Mm. anything that said that it might do that, I was willing to take any risks that came attached because it was worth it. I did actually try to see a counsellor and I did, I spoke to them. But at the time that I left, I was extremely scared about going to the authorities Mm. because of the whole way I've been trained to fear them. And Mm -hmm. also because I had been threatened that if I brought my publicity or the authorities to the doorstep, that my little sisters would be sent to live with one of my worst abusers. Mm. I wouldn't be able to reach them anymore because it was abroad. And I knew it was something the cult was capable of doing. Mm. And I was terrified of this end result. And I spoke to this counsellor, and this poor counsellor probably didn't know what had hit her. She was just in a community centre in a little (sighs) town and in comes this teenager and she's probably expecting the usual bit of domestic issues at home or something. And I just Mm. spilled out this whole story. And I started to spit it out and she got really, really like, oh, right, no, I've got to do this. I've got to take over. And she jumped right up and bless her. I can see in retrospect, she was trying to help, but it did not help because what she Mm. did was take over instead of trying to work with me, instead of continuing to listen to me, she was just doing things. And I was trying to explain to her that I couldn't involve the police because I was scared of this. Mm. And, and she's like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Going to get the police, going to get the courts. They're going to come here. They're going to do this. They're going to be this. Oh. And she did not listen. And I was panicking and I was begging her. And she just, she was already on the phone to people. Oh, she was gosh. like, and she was like really hyper about the whole thing. And I, completely freaked me out so I just stood up and I said listen if you do this if you get these people involved I'm going to turn around and say I made it all up and I'm just a wasted teenager and Mm. I walked out the door and I didn't seek professional help for decades after that wow wow I understand that there's a duty of care in somebody in position like that that if there is children in danger to report it right however I think if it's really important if you're a professional and somebody comes to you with some really traumatic story about Mm -hmm. themselves, to reassure them that they're going to let them take it at their pace, that you're going to work with them, not for them. Because when it started getting taken over, I didn't feel like it was about me anymore. And I totally panicked. And that, that really did set me back a long way in seeking professional help. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And probably the hyperactivity or the hyperness, like you were saying, of her freaking out 
definitely wouldn't help a child, you know, that, that just would put instill more panic into you. And I understand she had a duty of care to involve authorities, but if instead of doing it the way she'd done, she'd put her phone down, she sat down, she went, okay, tell me about it. Right. You understand that if someone's in danger, I will need to report it, but we can do this with you. Right. And, you know, if she sat down and like listened and let me, take it at my pace I may have been willing to go further right but I speaked out before we ever got there (laughs) yeah yes oh my goodness well and that's what's again it's so devastating how they threaten you like you said it's not just you they're threatening at this point they're threatening your sisters and when they're saying you're go there you know that they would send you them to your worst abuser that's just terrible. And you know, like you said, what he was capable of doing. And so, of course, you're going to listen. Like, they know exactly what to say to get in your head and threaten you. Ugh. Just absolutely awful. terrified. And I think that is one of the biggest things that people should take on board if they're trying to help somebody that's mm. coming out of any coercive control situation. Yes. That being confrontational these right into the narrative they've been fed for her mm-hmm. many years up to the point they've talked to the the whole narrative that most people in a coercive relationship whether it's a cult or a group or anything else are mm-hmm. is they make it an us against them thing so if you go in all confrontational and aggressive you're turning into the them that they that they've been taught you are do you know what i mean and it's yep. like it's 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 almost proving, oh, actually, they were right. They are. They are out to get me. <laughs> exactly. It's yes. important to just listen and mm-hmm. be there and let them know they've got a little bit of control because speaking for myself, control is not something I ever had the luxury of having mm. as a child. Mm. And being allowed an element of control as an adult has enabled me to speak and to mm. start processing things and to actually get the help and support that I need. But that control is so important. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you've had it stripped from you your entire life and like you were born there, you never, ever experienced actual, you know, being in charge or control of any sort. Um, One thing I wanted to ask about was you talked about different forms of abuse, but you talked about the silence um, punishment. And was there also for like, because I know you were a very rebellious child um, (laughs) doing all the things that normal children do. um, Was there, was there like a camp for older kids or kids that were troubled or was it just for kids in general? Um, The silence restriction for me happened throughout my life. Okay. And I think it did vary from home to home because Mm. all part of the same cult different communes were slightly different you know mm-hmm. it's a bit like i guess different schools within the same district or different churches it's like they're all sort of following the same thing but some slight changes it was like right. that communes for lack of a better description mm-hmm. um things like silence restrictions beatings demerit charts bowel movement charts oh my god they had oh to like my gosh details of what their pew looked like how high it floated what <gasps> color it was and this massive chart in the whole what yeah it was like so totally embarrassing oh oh my gosh (laughs) 
it almost felt like you were in competition for the perfect pew. It was like oof, there was no privacy at all. But, oh um, my gosh! That stuff was general practice in most of the homes, communes we went to, including when it was just our family. But they <sighs> did also have camps for the real bad cases, okay. and they called them rotten apples because I think. Um, David oh, Berg wrote this letter at one point saying one rotten apple in the barrel ruins the whole lot. Mm. Get those rotten apples and remove them from the rest of the nice, healthy, happy apples. Oh, um, <laughs> gosh. And there were people that were sent to them. I think the worst of those camps were actually further afield rather than mm. in the UK, but there were some in the UK as well. And okay. I, I got sent to one in Ireland when oh, I was gosh. about 13 or 14, I think. So they did, they did exist also. Oh my gosh. Uh, and the same type things would happen at those camps. It was just more on a, you know, strict basis of this is kind of for these troubled kids. Yeah. I think it yeah. was more as it was a very army like lifestyle in most mm. of the homes that I went to. And even when it was just our family, we kept that very militaristic. That okay. Or 700 hours per time, eight, 800 mm. hours per thing. It was very, there was not a minute of the day that was not accounted for in some way. Even quiet relaxation time was timed <laughs> and regimented. Oh but I think in the camps, it was even more so. Mm. And whereas, I mean, for me personally, I was constantly getting the physical punishments and the science restrictions and the demerits and things as well. In the camps, it was more standardized where, you know, mm. it was almost like you got them whether or not they behaved yourself. Uh. It's like if you were bad enough to get sent there, just expect it. Obviously, basically, these camps and most of the punishments were designed in the words of the cult leaders to break the children's spirits. Mm. God can't lose you unless Mm -hmm. you, and that was the philosophy they went by. Oh my gosh! Um, When you were talking about the charts, like that is crazy to me, but. It's obviously just a method of controlling. It's like every, like you said, every aspect of every minute in your life is scheduled and controlled, which is just crazy. There was nothing. When I say they weren't allowed individuality, they really weren't. I mean, I didn't have any personal possessions <sighs> outside, like my Bible or my flea bag and a change of clothes. I'd get sent nice things by my relatives at Christmas and birthdays, and I would write a nice big thank you letter. And if, you know, the home was rich enough to have a camera with a flash, you know, the old school ones, we'd take a picture to send them. And then it would either get sold, donated <sighs> to one of the leadership kids who was more in the Lord than me and therefore deserved to have worldly possessions, which oh my case was probably most of all. Uh, or yeah. it would get put in the Prosecco pile and just given away. I would never get to keep those gifts. I would get replaced <sighs> with something that a revolutionary end-time warrior needed, like a sewing kit or a sewing <sighs> Oh my gosh! Um, oh. But um, the whole individual, there was no space because you had the whole day regiment, and they worked you hard. And I know all kids complain about their chores. My kids kick up as if I'm right. to a refugee camp just because of asking <laughs> laundry. Honestly, have yes. no. But I'm see, I'm not talking about chores you'd give their children. I'm talking about spending three hours on the floor with a toothbrush scrubbing all the things in the corners. <sighs> it's it was hard labor and it was constant, and you didn't really have time to rebel. You didn't, and any anything you said or asked a question for me 
it seemed it was instant punishment because it was talking mm. back or doubting. No signs if they if I zoned out or started daydreaming, that was imagination. That would be instantly punished. Mm. And then at night time, we started having to write these open heart reports. And in the open heart reports, you had to make sure you confessed something because otherwise the adults didn't think you were being spiritual enough. They'd have to make sure that you said something you were working on, but you also had to make sure they didn't go too far because you'd be increasing your punishments for the next day. But these oh. open heart reports, you're supposed to put down every thought that's ever passed through their head during the day. Nothing was their own. They didn't own. I didn't have autonomy over my body. I didn't have mm -hmm. autonomy my choices in life over my future over my education over my day-to-day -day, over my things and i didn't even have it over my thoughts because the cult <sighs> control everything and talk about that with that mental abuse i mean and you think i i'm just picturing again like my kids ages how messed up that would make you mentally to have to sit down and do that at night and like you said, trying to like, oh, I don't want to do too bad because that's going to be punished, but I have to put something down. Like that is such abuse. And the Disgusting. constant thing, trying to get everyone to grass up on each other and oh. their shoulders. And it was just, honestly, it's like, as I said, and I'm not downsizing how much the sexual and physical abuse right. impacted me or how bad it was. I'm just saying it wasn't the only abuse there. And right. I think... Sometimes when people focus so much on the physical and sexual, it almost downplays the other side of it. And there's so many survivors who didn't necessarily have mm. that one experience that still suffered all this psychological mental abuse. And there's so many issues that I'm even now only just discovering I still have. If you know, mm. I, it's like it's this is a lifetime journey to try to overcome that. And for me, I think the impacts of it cannot be overstayed enough mm. all right guys we are going to take a break from verity's story you can join us again next week where we will finish her story you can check the show notes out for more information about her there's also a resource list there for anyone that's interested as well as some links to organizations that verity supports and some causes that she is trying to create awareness around so please join us again next week and we can get the rest of her story have a great week, guys. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of the Shanty Pants Show. I really appreciate your support, so please leave me a review and some stars and share my show with all of your friends, because I'm sure they will want to hear it as well. And if you just can't wait for next week and you need to know what I'm up to in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Official Shanty Pants and on YouTube and Facebook at Shanty Pants. See you next this week. Is the moment. It's time to turn the page. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.